So many people struggle with overactive bladder, but many don't seek help because they may be too uncomfortable talking about their symptoms or they think it's just a normal part of aging. My guest today is Amanda Phelps-Jones. She's a woman's health nurse practitioner in the Pelvic Health and Wellness Center at Deaconess, the Women's Hospital. Amanda, I'm so glad to have you with us today to talk about this very sensitive women's issue. Is incontinence a normal part of aging? You know, it is a normal part of aging, but it doesn't have to be something that we have to live with. We can absolutely take care of it in several different ways. Tell us what is overactive bladder? Overactive bladder is when the bladder itself is is kind of overfiring and it feels like it's kind of quivering in there. You have a frequency and an urgency sensation to go to the bathroom much more than what someone would average would go on average, you know, at least eight times a day. Um, you have a sensation to go to the bathroom even after you've emptied your bladder completely. Um, many women will know where every bathroom is and um, all of the stores that they frequent. They get up in the middle of the night several times, not just one like a normal person would. And they often say to me that, you know, they stand up from going to the bathroom and they have to sit right back down and go again and they don't get much output. They will um, try to limit their intake of fluids, which sometimes can be the wrong thing to do because then it creates dehydration and and causes your bladder to, to work over time in and of itself. Do we know what the underlying causes are? I mean, is it is it pregnancy-related? Is it age-related? Are there some risk factors that we might know about? You know, it can be caused by pregnancy in, in younger women. And then through the lifespan, we develop it because of the lack of estrogen. So it kind of contradicts itself. But at the same time, um, you can see the common theme there. It is a lot associated with, with what what we see is um, being female hormones, but men do develop it as well for other reasons. A lot of it has to do with their, their male hormones and their prostate, but with me being more based with female care, we see it, like I said, through the lifespan, females with um, in the younger generation with child development or with um, birthing and that kind of thing, but definitely with um, associated with a lack of estrogen as we age. As well, you'll see it at times when someone has a um, a surgical procedure for stress incontinence, which is when someone would cough, laugh, and sneeze, they have that surgically fixed, then through time they develop the overactive bladder because they're sometimes compensating for, for the other. It can also be associated with what we're drinking too. Um, we don't often know what all of the bladder irritants are and the stimulants and that kind of thing, so education is key. Education is key, which is what you're doing for us today. So what can we do about it? Please start with some of the lifestyle modifications. You mentioned limiting fluid intake, which may not always be the best idea. What would you like us Mm -hmm. to know if someone is suffering from this? What do you want them to do? Well, I think first and foremost... Speak to your physicians about it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I often, by the time they get to me at a specialty clinic, they have gone through um, other physicians where they maybe have not been asked specific questions by those physicians for whatever reason, which is kind of disheartening to me as a medical provider. They, They should be asked those questions and not be forced to ask those questions themselves to the provider. I feel as like as though we are probably doing a disservice to some of these women um, 
we should be spearheading this conversation, not the patient. But unfortunately, you've got to be your own advocate. And I would encourage women to ask their providers if they are having trouble um, with their bladders at any point in their lifetime, they need to ask their providers, you know, is there something I can do differently? What what is it that I'm doing that I need to change? Or is there anything I can change? And is there something we can do to to help this issue? Amanda, as women, we've been hearing about Kegel exercises for years. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what those are and, and do they really help? You know, with a Kegel exercise, they've been around, Dr. Kegel um, introduced those to us. I'm 42 years old, and they've been around longer than I've been alive. Um, And, you know, only 40 to 50% of women do them the proper way. You can only teach someone how to do something um, verbally so well. It's best to... um, physically show someone how to do that. That's where pelvic floor physical therapy comes into play. Um, For for us to be able to teach someone how to properly use that pelvic floor and and how to contract and tone and shape and those those pelvic floor muscles into what we need to to control that pelvic floor, not just with a Kegel exercise. It's more than just a Kegel exercise when we talk about pelvic floor physical therapy. So when someone says, I'm doing a Kegel, I, I let them tell me what they're talking about and what they're doing, but it's often more than just a Kegel because if you're doing it the inappropriate way, you're not helping yourself, you're hurting yourself. But often that's all they know and that's all they've been taught. So that's where we step in and, and help teach them the correct way when we're at a specialty center like this. Do you recommend keeping a voiding diary? Absolutely, especially when you're coming to a facility like this or even your regular OBGYN or family practice physician because not everyone uses an OBGYN as a provider. Um, But avoiding diary definitely helps us. It puts it more in an objective um, form versus subjective because we can often um, either underestimate or overestimate our issues and how often we're using the bathroom or how often we're getting up in the middle of the night, those types of things. So it definitely helps, and it's a great way to evaluate your treatment patterns as well as, um, you know, your behavior modifications. You know, when you do make those modifications with what you're drinking, what you're consuming, those kinds of things, and the pelvic floor exercises to see if they're truly working, not just what you think they're doing. It gives you hard data to to follow and and see if it's truly helping you. Amanda, another interesting thing we've been hearing about lately is a burgeoning field of pelvic floor physical therapy. Can that help Mm -hmm. with that? And tell us what's involved in that. It sounds like many women might be embarrassed to do something like that. Sure. You know, the common misnomer with physical therapy is, you know, people think of muscles and bones when you think of physical therapy. You don't often relate it to the pelvic floor. And it's it's a topic of conversation that I speak about in and out all day long. It's it's something that is so vital to keeping a pelvic floor healthy from all the way from being, you know, during pregnancy to being postpartum to being perimenopausal to being menopausal. It's very important throughout a woman's lifespan. And it absolutely helps us in many different ways with pelvic pain, overactive bladder, stress incontinence, all types of pelvic floor issues. And it can absolutely help tighten and tone that pelvic floor. It They teach you how to properly use that pelvic floor. They have biofeedback techniques where they can um, use computers and 
little vaginal probes that they they have that they can hook up to a computer and show you how to properly use those pelvic floor muscles by generating a contraction. If you're doing it improperly, they the little waveform comes, comes across the screen and you can bank that into your memory so that you know not to use that muscle group in the same way. When you're doing it properly, the same thing, that waveform comes across the screen and it shows you how to use that that muscle form or that group in that in that way. And then you can bank that into your memory so that you know that's how I do that, that contraction. So that's where I was speaking earlier with the Kegels. Um, when people are doing them incorrectly, this teaches someone how to use those pelvic floor muscles in the proper way so that we can teach them not to work against themselves. It's very handy. They also use ultrasound techniques to show someone how to to use those muscles properly. Another thing we've heard about, there's a lot of ads on TV show women golfing and having to run to the bathroom, and they're usually for medications. If we've Uh tried pelvic floor physical therapy and we've done all of these things you've discussed, are there medications that can help as well? Yes, there are medications. There's a... um several different medications out. There's um, medications that have been out for many, many years, and then there's newer medications. Our job is to educate patients on those and give them the the tools that they need to make the proper decisions on what's best for them. But yes, there's absolutely medications for overactive bladder that we can arm them with um, that work great in conjunction with physical therapy and some advanced therapies as well, or they can use them by themselves. Does the discussion ever become surgical, and what does that look like? For overactive bladder, there is no direct surgery that's involved. Um, It's not a structural issue, unlike some other types of incontinence. There is a um, procedure that can be done. That's where I was speaking more of an advanced therapy to get your brain and your bladder kind of speaking more on the same terms. It helps stimulate your bladder to help it um, fill up and empty more effectively. It's called sacral neural modulation. And it's there's a trial that's done in the um, office. It's a very short five-minute procedure where they um, implant a couple of lead wires in your low back, much like an epidural is done in the hospital when you're having a baby. Those little wires are then held on to the lower part of your trunk with a little waistband that's Velcro hooked up to a little handheld monitor that's um, held on externally, and they program it to where it kind of stimulates your bladder. You don't know it. You don't feel it, but it's doing its job. Um, If you get at least 50% reduction in your symptoms, then they consider that a successful trial, and then you're um, brought back to the operating room for a permanent placement of those leads and the little battery pack that's implanted into your lower hip um, on the back side of your hip at the upper part of the the um, medial part of our hip that um, is then implanted and nothing is seen externally and it's very successful at least 90% successful in most cases it's a, a really good alternative so it's more of a surgical procedure not necessarily um, a surgery It's a topic so interesting and that so many women suffer from and so many in silence. Please give us your best advice, what you would like us to know about overactive bladder, the treatment options, lifestyle changes that we can try. Just tell us what you would like us to take away from this. 
I think the main take-home point for me as a provider is when it comes to an overactive bladder condition or any bladder condition of that matter, is it's about quality of life. When you're dealing with a bladder condition, it's not something that's life-saving that I do. It's not going to change your life in that matter, but it can change your life to be able to allow you to do things that you haven't been able to do in a while, that you're afraid to do, that you're embarrassed to do, that kind of thing. So quality of life is key. It can get you back out and doing things that you hadn't been able to do. And when we're dealing with an elderly population, it can absolutely be life-saving for them in the way that if someone with overactive bladder has a sincere sense of urgency to get to the bathroom and they fall getting to the bathroom and break a hip, that's when it becomes more of a life-saving issue when we correct their overactive bladder problems. So I think, if anything, just know that quality of life is a big issue when we're dealing with bladders and women. Um, we need to take the stigma away from it as well. Um, just encourage women to ask for help. Don't be afraid. We can help you. There are some over-the-counter products that we can we can use if you don't want to do anything invasive. Um, and there's also, you know, great offices like ours nationwide, not just here in Evansville, that, that can offer help to to you as well as your, your family practice provider and your, your OBGYN. Don't be afraid to ask for help. That's really a great piece of advice right there, Amanda, is don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be embarrassed. So many people are going through it. So there are treatment options. There are ways to make it so that your quality of life is so much better. Thank you again for joining okay. us. This is the Women's Hospital, a place for all your life. For more information or to schedule an appointment, please call 812-858-5950 or head on over to our website at deaconess.com slash pelvic health. I'm Melanie Cole.